Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Robert Lamb. I'm Julie Douglas. Tell me, Julie, have you ever been stuck on an elevator and find yourself in a situation where you you feel like you have to make small talk with another person, a stranger? Yeah, it's kind of tough. I mean, usually you sort of look around and for some reason or another, weather is pretty reliable as a topic. Yeah, it's instantly relatable. Everybody has to deal with it. And uh, opinions are not going to vary too much, you know. Right, yeah, it's it's not a lightning rod subject usually. Yeah. And it's, unless there's a right lightning rods are the subject, I guess. But, yeah, yeah, then then that's an entirely different yeah. elevator you're in. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a pithy subject. You don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's instantly relatable. Um but then, you know, it's there are all these cultural things too, just in you know, you're talking to somebody that you, you have no idea where they're coming from on uh um on say like hand gestures. Um like uh I believe it was uh yeah, Amanda Arnold. Uh, how stuff works, uh, editor who, uh, blogs for, uh, cool stuff on the planet. Uh, she d- did this really cool blog entry about how, like, different hand signals, uh, how they mean vastly different things, you know, depending on where you are in the world. Right. Like, uh, you know, a thumbs up is great here. So, you know, other places you'll get, you know, attacked for that. Um, you know, making a little, like, wolf sign with your, you know, hands, like over here, that means you're, like, rocking out or, you know, or enjoying heavy metal. Other places, it's you're saying something like really bad about somebody's mother, or so, you know, or, or something. Right, it's showing the bottom of your foot too, right? If you yeah. cross your legs. Yeah, like that. Actually, um, yeah, that's uh, like Thailand. That's a, a huge thing there. And when uh, my wife and I visited there, like that was something that was like we were just really on edge the whole time. Like, oh, oh my goodness, I you know make sure I do not gesture with my feet uh, when I sit down. You know, make sure I don't. You know, cross my legs so that I'm pointing the bottom of my foot at somebody. Right. And even in the airport, like leaving, um, and flying on like the Thai, you know, Thailand air, uh, they, um, they had, uh, like a separate container to, to, uh, for your shoes to be x-rayed in than, uh, separate from the rest of your stuff. Because the idea of putting your shoes in with your pocket things is just, you know, not acceptable. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. So it's like I'm, I'm kind of, it kind of like washed off on me, and I still find myself like I'll be in a meeting, like uh, here at work, and I'll be like, oh my goodness, did I just point the bottom of my foot at my boss? What am I thinking? You know? <laughs> and then I have to remind myself he doesn't care because he's not Thai. So. Right. Right. But yeah. So I think what that kind of makes me think of is how difficult it is to actually communicate with one another. Yeah, and that's just on this planet. Right. So when we start talking about the possibility of speaking with other worlds and, you know, other, you know, inter- interstellar civilizations, uh, it just gets entirely more complicated. Right. Because, I mean, how would, how would you even know what the cultural norms are of another civilization? Yeah. Or, or what, what do you have in common with something that lives, you know, on the other side of the galaxy and evolved, you know, in completely different situations? Which leads us to our subject today. Yeah. Which is, all right, if we do actually engage in conversation with these beings. Yeah, what's the etiquette? Yeah, what do how, we do? How do we behave? What do we talk about? How do we talk about it? Yeah, who's regulating this anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Turns out a lot of people um, are giving it some serious thought. Yeah, and it's really, it's been in the news lately uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's because there were some ex-military uh, personnel who signed an affidavit that basically said, hey, we saw some UFOs hovering over our military silos. And, you know, we've got to put that out in the open. Mm-hmm. And then there was what has turned out to be a, a false rumor 
that uh, Malaysian astrophysicist Maslin Othman was to become the UN spokesperson for Earth just in case aliens engaged us. Okay. So it's like the aliens, you know, contact us, and it's, if it's the middle of the night in Malaysia, then people are like, whoa, hold on. Give us give us 30 minutes. We have to go wake somebody up. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, hey, Othman, you're on. <laughs> you're on deck. Right. And so, that again, that turns out to be false. But definitely aliens are on the mind. And, in fact, there's a, a booking company that places bets that actually has 100 to 1 odds they're offering this that either the U.S. president or the serving British prime minister will announce existence of ETs within a year of the bet being placed. Huh. I wonder if you can place bets on whether it'll be announced, like, during elections, you know, or in the lead up to elections. Like, how would that, uh, like, what, I wonder what works. Like, if you, if you want to be reelected, do you, you tell everybody they're aliens or do you, you sit on it? Right, right. Yeah. I don't know. We need to talk to some bookies about this. Yeah. All the different factors that contribute to the odds. But in any case, it's definitely on our minds. And there are a couple of reasons for that. I mean, beyond the fact that it's been in the news, one of that, one of the reasons is because of the SETI Institute. Right. Yeah. And these folks, they make it their job to search for extraterrestrial intelligence. That's what they do day in, day out, satellites. Um, they're basically cosmic uh, eavesdroppers, if you will, mm-hmm. searching for some sort of signal that our little green friends are out there. Yeah. And they're really pondering in a really uh, significant way what would happen if they were out there. What if we did establish contact? Yeah, and a lot of this, um, uh, one of the, the key uh, ingredients in, uh, in, in, in their belief, and a lot of people's belief, that there there is intelligent life out there somewhere is the Drake equation, uh, which uh, is, uh, if, if you look at the entire equation, it's like uh, the one that looks like N equals R with a little star by it, uh, you know, F, B, N, E, F, L, F, I, F, C, L. And these all stand for different things, like uh, N equals the number of communicative civilizations. R equals the rate of formation of suitable stars. F, P is the fraction of those stars with planets. Uh, then, it, you know, it breaks down along lines of, like, the you know number of Earth-like worlds per planetary system, the fraction of those planets that, uh, where life actually develops, the fraction of life sites where intelligence develops, um, you know, and and uh, and it gets into like communication issues as well. So it's we we don't really we can't really say definitively what the value would be for each of these letters, but we can we can sort of make we can make educated guesses. So we make educated right. guesses, <laughs> and then when we plug up plug all those numbers into the equation, we get a sort of a rough, very rough, you know, estimate of how many intelligent civilizations there might be, and based on uh, Drake's. Um, own current uh, solution to, to his own equation, the Drake equation, uh, he thinks there would be 10,000 uh, commutative civilizations in the Milky Way. Right. And again, this is kind of, this is rough science. Yeah. So there are a lot of different um, yeah, people, parts of this equation yeah, that have drawn def- criticism. Yeah. yeah. People will put in different numbers and say, actually, it's not 10,000. It's more like one, you know, right. or 50 <laughs> or know. yeah. Yeah. So it, it varies tremendously, but it, it's a, it's something that gives people a lot of, um, I don't know if hope's really the word because I mean I, I think there's a lot of concern and you know a little fear about mm-hmm. the possibility of there being something out there. But it, a lot of people you know continue to work you know far you know at SETI because they believe there's a really good chance that it's there. And if it's there, we need to know about it. And, right, right. And line up you know protocol. 
Right, and I think the fact, too, that astronomers have discovered that there are 300 planets beyond our solar system, mm-hmm. there's the idea that one of them could be an Earth-like planet and therefore could produce life forms. So, given given everything that's been in the news, the fact that SETI is, is making this grand exploration into the question of extraterrestrial life, the, the Drake equation... I think what what it's all pointing to is okay it could it could happen in 2 years it mm-hmm. could happen in 40,000 years yeah. we're not quite certain we've got some math and science to bear out different results but what if it did happen tomorrow yeah what would we do would it just be it would be in a situation where it would just be chaos. Would it just, you know, be everybody with a radio station and TV going on and pretending to be the spokesman for humanity? Right, introducing themselves as the president of the United States yeah. or uh, president of the Ukraine. I don't know. Yeah, people using it as a, you know, an excuse to appeal to voters or to slam the, you know, candidates. You know, the, the sky's the limit. You know, so you end up having to have some sort of protocol in place. You know, some sort of. Um, Maybe not decision-making body, but at least a body that can, you know, direct policy. And let a thought into how can you effectively communicate, given that, as you said before, the, at the top of the podcast, that it's hard enough for us to communicate with one another, let alone some sort of being out there. Yeah, because like in the elevator, the um, the message is pretty simple. It's, hey, guy, um, I'm a normal Dude, too. Right. The fact that we're talking to each other and, and, this, and, and stuck in this elevator together, it's not weird at all. Right, right. You know? That we're sealed up. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. And that, that is really, that if you're reading between the lines, it's saying, you're saying, I won't threaten you. You won't threaten me yeah. either. Right? Um, yes, the weather's great outside. So what, what have we actively been telling aliens or think that we've been telling them? Well, it's, uh, I like to kind of think of it in terms of Facebook. Um, not because Facebook is constantly on my mind, though I do have to use it for work, so I guess it kind of is. But, um, but like in Facebook, you have like your profile, right? Everybody right. knows. So you have profiles out there, and certain aspects, uh, certain corners of that profile, depending on how you have your setting, may be locked so that, uh, if there, if someone's not your friend on Facebook, they can't see everything about you. Maybe they can only see your picture and some, you know, basic stats. Uh, and you have no idea who's looking at it. You know, it could be people from high school that you don't want to have contact with. It could be crazy people in other countries, um, you know, aliens surfing the, the Internet. And that's the thing. We have a lot of information out there that's just sort of leaked away from the planet. Right. And is, you know, conceivably available, uh, such as TV and radio signals. Right. Yeah. So f- that's what, for the last 50 years, we've been, we've had some leakage, yes. so to speak. And it's, you know, there are actually some really cool charts online uh, that show, like, just how far they've spread into what, you know, what stars uh, these different, um, you know, shows have reached. Right. You know, there are portions of the um, of the Milky Way that are, you know, getting, uh, you know, they're getting uh, the Untouchables or they're getting Gilligan's Island, you know, or they're getting, you know, Buck Rogers. There, It's just, you know, it's like cultural leakage, you know, through uh, television and it's just sort of expanding outward. So if some being were cosmic, uh, doing some cosmic eavesdropping... That being would say, wow, this, these people are kind of nuts, maybe. They've yeah. gone through a lot of strife. They've created a lot of strife. They've had moments of grace, and they have Jersey Shore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, what kind of message are you sending? It's like, especially if they choose to, like, focus just on, say, the Second World War and Jersey Shore, you know? Right. You know, they could, you could, it's it's pretty, I mean, I hate to be too pessimistic, but if you had to compile an argument for the um, eradication of Earth, just, you know, 
based on television programming, you could probably make a pretty strong argument, you know. But um, you're right; it's it's a bleak thought, but yeah. And then and then there's all like if heaven forbid uh, aliens get a hold of uh, our internet. I mean, it's there's just so much stuff out there, you know. It's like all, all our we we put like so much of our our culture and our global civilization into television, into the internet, and into, into these things, and it's not necessarily the best um, argument for who we are, or not the argument we want to put forth to other planets. Right. It, It'd be like if you had your complete Facebook all the way open to everybody in the world, you know, and like you know, potential employer logs on and they're like, oh, uh, you know, he's really a fan of. You know, these films that are kind of weird or, ooh, that, you know, it's like his profile picture is his Halloween costume and he looks like somebody I don't want to employ, you know? It's, uh, you know, it's that, it's that kind of thing. We have a lot of stuff that we don't necessarily want to put out there for public, you know, consumption in the universe. Yeah. So where to begin? I mean, if we're going to describe ourselves, what's the best way to do it? I mean, I mean, we're, we're pretty complex. Yeah. Multifa- multifaceted human beings. Um, it, it makes me think of, one of the the first things to go out there in a in a very um, yeah an actual organized uh, way, yeah. which is the Pioneer plaque. Yes, 1972. Uh, this was a plaque that was adhered to Pioneers 11 and 12, the spacecraft, mm-hmm. and it had an image on it, or has an image floating around right now of uh, a woman, a man. The solar system. Right. Uh, the sun, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, a side section of the spacecraft. Right. A couple other things on there. Yeah, there's, um. Maybe like a hydrogen. Yeah, hydrogen molecule, di- molecule diagram. Um, there's a, they also have on the map of the solar system, it shows the trajectory of the craft to show okay. where it came from, where it's going. And, uh, and some other stuff too to judge, uh, like, there's some stuff in there about the frequencies of pulsars uh, that will enable other civilizations to potentially determine the time that has elapsed since uh, Pioneer was launched. Yeah. Th- you know, things of that nature. And, uh, you know, and just to sort of show that, like, hey, these are the, this is the ship, you know, these are the creatures that made the ship, and this is a general idea of their, you know, scientific proficiency. Right, and sort of like where, uh, sort of like where we are in the world, um, you know, I mean, the solar system, where Earth is in the solar system, the side section of the aircraft as it relates to the dimensions of a human being as yeah. well. So trying to give some sort of scope on that. But what I think is really interesting about this is if an alien were to intercept this, I still think it would be a little bit baffling. Yeah, because who's to, you know, it, we, we bring a little uh, what anthropomorphic uh, chauvinism to just about anything. So, you know, what if, you know, you look at these, these, these people, I mean, we look at it and we know it's an, at the very least, we, you know, we know it's an animal, you know, and we know it's a human, but that, you know, that doesn't mean another, you know, civilization, you know, another alien species would be able to look at that and, and figure out what it was, you know, I mean, right, like, like, is it a living thing? Is it sculpture? Is it, you know, is it a rock formation? You know, is it just lines? I mean, like you think of things like, um. Like, like just human, you know, uh, neurological things like face blindness and the like, you know, yeah. things that, that prohibit the mind from understanding, um, a form. Something out of context. Right. Right. So, yeah, they could look at it and see nothing. They, I mean, maybe they could tell at the very least that it is not a natural, you know, composition, but who's to say they could decide for anything beyond that? Right. And it, it might even look like a cave drawing to them. 
yeah. you know, so so primitive that they have to stare at it for a very long time. Say, whoa, wait, hold on, I think this is some sort of object yeah. that, that was useful to them. But I think I, w- I want to look at the drawing a little closer because I think it more than saying anything to aliens, I think it says a lot to us as yeah. as a culture. <laughs> um, and if you look at the drawing, you've got the the male and the female, and they're both nude. And by the way, this caused some controversy when it first came out. Oh, yeah. There is a I have, I have to read this. I got this out of um, uh, one of Sagan's books. Uh, this is a, a copy of a letter that uh, went into the Los Angeles Times. Uh, and the uh, the Times had published uh, you know, a picture of that image on the front of the, of the, of the newspaper. And uh, this, this person wrote in and said, I must say I was shocked by the blatant display of both male and female sex organs on the front page of the Times. Surely this type of sexual uh, ex- exploitation is below the standards of our community that uh, below the standards our community has come to expect from the times. Isn't it enough that we must tolerate the bombardment of pornography through the media of film and smut magazines? Isn't it bad enough that our own space agency officials have found it necessary to spread this filth even beyond our own solar system? So <laughs> it's kind of awesome when you think about it, especially in the context of 2010. Yeah. It, this image is really actually puritanical looking at it now. But at the time, yeah, it was interstellar pornography. Yeah. They thought, some people thought. And you have um, the male who is uh, signifying a sort of goodwill gesture with his hand up. He, he looks very awkward. I think. He does. Like, I think it just drives home just how ridiculous uh, masculine nudity is anyway. Well, I was going to say, he looks really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> he really wishes he had his clothes on, I yeah. think. And then you have the female standing next to him. And the weird thing about her is that, okay, she's not signifying at all. She's not waving. So that's saying something right there. Yeah, like she's going to be an antisocial. Yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, okay, and this is this is the female. She doesn't speak. And the other thing is... The man is, will do all the talking. Right, right. <laughs> I am the master of the universe, I think is what maybe that's saying. And the female is shifted slightly to one hip. So one of her legs is um, sort of like at a 45-degree angle. I don't know how you would describe that. And she I, I, it looks a little suggestive. Hmm. And, and I, if I were an alien and I could start to kind of pick up on some of the nuances here, I might think that she would be open to dinner and drinks later. Huh. Well, but a part of that is that she does look more natural. And the, the guy just looks like... Just very stiff, you know. She does. She does. She actually looks like she's she's used to being naked a lot, and it's the seventies, right? Yeah. When this is being drawn, so it's very possible that this is modeled after someone. Well, <laughs> the, an- the another interesting, knew. you know, aspect of that. Speaking of her nudity in particular, is uh, NASA officials censored this image before it could go out. Mm. It was originally. Uh, and this is, this according to like, to, to Sagan and a lot of people, like, uh, it's been discussed enough that it's just not, you know, n- nobody at NASA even denies it, that they, uh, they decided to edit, uh, her a little bit so that she's not completely anatomically correct. Right. Like, she's more Barbie doll than, uh, you know, smut magazine. Uh, right. Is the language of the LA Times. Uh, right. I mean, writer. to be specific, the, the line that would define the vulvas is correct was right. erased. Is, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, with the male, it's it's still very simple, but it's obvious that you know there's some Franken beans or something yeah. going. I mean, you know. Yeah, um, it's like I can imagine like aliens looking at this and be like, "What? Well, where does that even go? What? How does this work? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't get, it. I don't get this. How do Clearly, they... these are two different asexual species. Right. They lay eggs in the water, and then <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to get a lick of sense out of this. I think if I was an alien, but it is fascinating. 
because it really is kind of spelling out who we who we think we are, um, at least in 1972. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about is, okay, so the plaque we know is going to exist well beyond our lifetimes. So right. I don't know, 40,000 years from now, someone could in- intercept this. So we as a as a race might look very different or evolve into a very different type of being than what's represented in 1972. Yeah, not to mention um you know how much like I mean just you know how, this is just the, this is the human body and it's like you know, un, you know, costumed form, you know? Right. And, and when you talk about like the, you know, the future evolution of, of humans and how like wearable, uh, computer technology factors into it, I mean, it's, this may not really be a complete picture of, you know, even if, if biologically we don't evolve all that much, will this be a good, you know, image of what human society is? Um, you know, you know, this, that, that far into the future? Like, right. So, cause we'll have certain, as presumably we'll have certain, uh, Types of equipment right. attached to our heads. At least we think this right now. Yeah, and if we indeed, if technology ends up, if we end up having more of almost a symbiotic relationship with our technology, you know, mm-hmm. factoring in things like the idea of a technological singularity where computers, right. you know, exceed, you know, human capacity, and and you know, maybe we end up with something kind of like in the uh, the Ian and Bank uh, Banks uh, culture novels where you have like computers are kind of like looking after people and taking care of all the. The real serious stuff while humans have kind of a, um, uh, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, free society where they kind of do what they want, don't have to worry about, you know, any kind of serious situations. Like maybe in that respect, it's, it makes sense that Voyager's there in the background and maybe they'll say, Hey, there's the computerized machine that's, uh, right. that's actually <laughs> does everything. And there, these are the naked people that, uh, just kind of do what they want. There's their God in the background. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but that's, I, that's what I think is just, this is very interesting. It's a little time capsule that's shot right. out there, but it's not the only one. Right. Yeah. We followed this up with the Voyager missions. Yeah. And, uh, we went a little, we were a little more robust with this, this mission. Uh, I, I, my understanding is Sagan, um, wanted to actually include like more like naked, like photographs, you know, I mean, you know, nothing like, you know, you know something very, you know, clinical, you know, just to show exactly this is the, this is the human organism. Right. And that was, that was, you know, completely censored. And I think they went with a silhouette instead. But, uh, we also included the golden records. Yeah. And the golden records in which, uh, there are like, what, 116 images mm-hmm. on this record. There are, um, greetings in 59 languages. There's, uh, bits of ephemera, so to speak. The yeah, sound yeah. of a kiss. Yeah. Uh, wind and thunder, birds, whales. Other animals, fifty-five languages, um, printed messages from President Carter. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm laughing about that. He, he's a wonderful man, but yes, for, I guess it's just the the quality of. Oh well, it's 1977 again. Yeah. Here's this representation of life specifically in this one year, in this universe, which is kind of funny. And we included, I think, some classical music. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it is definitely a fuller representation of the human experience in 1977 rather than this sort of crude line drawing um, from the Pioneer plaque. But I think what's interesting about it, too, is that um, and actually this was uh, a piece on NPR that uh, they did. They talked about how Carl Sagan and Anne Druin, his second wife, how that that period in time, that um, 
that golden record is in a weird way sort of an example of their burgeoning relationship hmm. and when they were falling in love. And I thought what was interesting is that they also recorded the electrical impulses of Anne's uh, brain and her nervous system turning them into sound. And then the hope was that maybe in a 1 million years or 1,000 million years, actually, um, some alien civilization might be able to turn that data back into thoughts. Wow. And at the time when she, when they were recording that, she actually meditated and she was meditating on the awe of love and being in love. So, wow. I mean, it's such a romantic scientific thing. You wow. gotta love it. It is. I mean, and it's, it's a great story of scientists and love. It's just, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's well, if you haven't heard it, it's well worth looking up. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, here's, here's another piece of, um, or pieces of data that we've thrown or we've flung into space trying to explain who we are. Yeah, it's interesting that we include like the music and the art because uh, I was reading, uh, some stuff, uh, from, uh, Paul Davies, uh, the cosmologist, um, who's, uh, um, Really awesome guy. I, I, I got to interview him for a Discovery News article uh, earlier this year. And just, you know, just very, just br- brilliant dude, very re- relatable, though, and can just break down these topics uh, with ease. But uh, he pointed out that, like, art and music are, are they're very tied to our cognitive architecture. Like, in, in one sense, like, mu- music is, like, a great example of who we are. But it's something that an alien species could easily have no frame of reference and just totally not appreciate it on any level, you know? Right. It might be some kind of weird squawking thing that we do. Yeah. Yeah. So in in a way, it's like it's the perfect example of who we are, but there's a very good chance nobody could read it. Which is interesting because um, in in talking about how we could communicate with aliens, Mm -hmm. and this is is what SETI has really been queuing itself up to do, or actually to think about music is, has come up as one of the ways that might be uh, a language that we could share. Right. Yeah. And, um, and what I'm thinking about too is that the, there was a workshop that the SETI Institute had in Paris in 2002 and they invited uh, people from all different disciplines and they got them in a room and said, let's really start thinking in a very serious way about how we can communicate with aliens effectively and what sort of modes we can do that in, now, and how this, can you help? Was this a college credit? No, no, no. This was an actual workshop, okay. but the college credit came later. Okay, because I can just imagine like a lot of jocks signing up for that one, thinking it's going to be an easy course. Yeah, they're going to be like, we can just say, hey, I mean, <laughs> not to stereotype jocks, because you wouldn't say that. They're not you listening to this. No, show. they may be. You never know. <laughs> there could be a jock scientist out there, okay. and we salute you. Prove me wrong, jocks. <laughs> But there was, uh, there was actually a college credit that you could get at the University in, of Wyoming in 2008, and it was a program sponsored by NASA. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the name of it is called Interstellar Message Composition. Oh, very nice. They had 11 students. <laughs> uh, the students were a- asked to ponder how aliens might communicate, whether they'd be able to translate human language, and if they'd be able to see or hear them. So those were just some Thoughts to get them going. Thinking outside the uh, terrestrial box, really. Yeah, yeah. This is this is their um, their college think tank, I suppose. So, I mean, if you look at what studies doing, it's actually pretty interesting. Is that they are picking the brains of everyone they can about about this problem of communication. How do we do it? How do we do it effectively? Mm -hmm. And one of the communications that came out of it um, was from a student who wrote a poem about 
menstruation with syllables arranged in the Fibonacci sequence. Oh, had a poem about menstruation. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, you know, women do represent 55% of the population. So, I mean, that might be an interesting tidbit to share with the aliens, though out of context, I, I don't know that. Um, it seems like, I don't know, I'm just thinking like when I meet people, like the first thing out of their, like, I, I feel like I have met people before where the first thing they say does relate to menstruation. And it, it kind of makes the rest of the conversation a little awkward for me. Well, so if this is a perfect point that the actually um, people have been making about what we're going to say to aliens. Like, do we, do you just, you know, do you lock down sort of uh, like Facebook style some parts of your personal profile so that you don't scare people off? I mean, you don't necessarily, if you meet your neighbor, say, hey, I'm so-and-so. In about an hour, I'm going to be completely ripped and <laughs> like, you know, naked in my backyard. I mean, th- these are not things that you normally say to someone if you're that person who does that. Right. Um, but now Douglas uh, Vachoff, Vachoff. Excuse me, completely wrong. Douglas Vakach, um, who is SETI's interstellar communication guru, basically says, you know what? We should be transparent about who we are. Um, not necessarily being talking about menstruation or um, binge drinking, mm-hmm. but being more transparent about who we are as a human race, um, that we, we do have a lot of strife, that we do have warfare. He, I mean, he feels like... Being honest out of the gate is going to put us in a in a better position. Yeah. Well, it's like with any relationship. It's kind of the idea. It's like if, if you hide too much of who you are, if this relationship is going to blossom, then that stuff's going to come out. Right, right. right. So, like, don't you know, lie. It's like, oh, we've never had war- wars. What are you talking about? Wars? What are you talking yeah. Did you get that out of that leakage? <laughs> <laughs> that was fiction. Yeah. That All was that just stuff. a show about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, So you, le- you let them know, uh, you know, off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I do think that's interesting. And then I think the other really interesting part of this um, this effort to try to communicate is that people, are, in particular study, are trying to regulate it. And mm-hmm. space lawyers are getting in on the action um, and helping to create protocols so that not just every Tom, Dick, and Harry can, you know, put something out there. Um, and try to communicate with aliens. Right. So we can do it in a responsible way. Yeah, or or he, not everybody can do like uh, like in 2008 when uh, Doritos used the observatory in Svalbard to uh, uh, beam a commercial 42 light years across the uh, the galaxy. So that was a little disappointing. Yeah, I have a metaphorical tear just going down yeah. my face right now. <laughs> that's just so sad. And I guess that's why you need space lawyers, right? Not just yeah. to... to um, Take up litigation over disputes among astronauts, but to possibly say, "Hey, that you know, you're violating code XXJY seven. Yeah, don't please Doritos, don't do that again." <laughs> um, to go back briefly to uh, Paul Davies, uh, Davies is actually on a um, on SETI. Uh, he's a he's actually the chair of SETI's uh, post detection task group. Right. And um, so the idea being that if we detect human life, then they call up like the task force and Davies and company like march into like a, I guess, like a special control room and start, you know, figuring out what they're going to say. But uh, I uh, I read an interview where um, where Davies uh, pointed out what he thought were like the key things to hit okay. in uh, during, you know, any kind of uh, communication with an, an alien civilization. 
and and he said that you you want to hit the, the number one. There's no uh, you know single government on the planet, uh, which I guess is is good in case they're like you know they just tune in and just you know catch something out of like a really destabilized region mm-hmm. you know or some like or you know you know you can use your you know imagination any you know corner of the world that is maybe not the best. Uh, well, I guess every corner, no corner of the world is like a good representation of the whole. Right. So you wouldn't, you know, want them to get that impression, you know. Uh, and then uh, also, no, there's no unitary political philosophy or ideology. Again, you know, if they were just to tune in and just like, you know, pick any religion, pick any, you know, um, uh, political uh, party in the world, and you can probably pick out some really extreme things that would, you know, make them raise an eyebrow or whatever the alien, you know, equivalent is. Uh, and then he also said that um, it, it would be important to stress that we're a great place for freedom, uh, if not anarchy, uh, and so that we're and that we're putting we'd want to put together you know like the best possible coherent package uh, about what we are. You know, again, it would be kind of like you know not saying we don't have wars, but here's an example of what's great about us. To be like a user's manual. Yeah. Here's Earth and yeah. human beings and. This is how we work. Yeah, it's like there's here's a list. This is us, warts and all. But here's we're gonna highlight some stuff that's really good. You know, like you you know you highlight the music and the art and the, the humanitarian stuff. But don't like cross. You know, it doesn't need to look like a uh, like a declassified CIA document where you've 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 marked out every horrible thing that right. has ever been done. And and then I, I guess too, it wouldn't be like the onions are dumb world either. Yeah. You'd want to take out some of the sarcasm. Yeah. Uh, and, but uh, one thing that Davies also stressed is that he thinks that in communicating with um, another um, another um, you know civilization, it's kind of like the the whole we were talking about the weather being like the one thing that we would have in common with the stranger in the elevator. Uh, well, Davies says the one thing we would have in common with this uh, this galactic stranger would be mathematics. So all these right. things that we just li- listed, we'd have to somehow find a way to communicate them through pure mathematics. Which is quite a challenge. Yeah, and again, that's I think this is why SETI is thinking about this now and inviting so many people into the conversation: um, artists, musicians, mm-hmm. uh, astrophysicists, um, anybody to say what is what is the common language that we can speak in. Um, and I do think the music thing is really interesting. But again, right, if you don't have a context, but music is based on mathematics, and what sort of mathematics would they be using anyway? Yeah. Um, Again, would it would our mathematics look so uh, primitive that it would just be like, what what are these scratchings? Here? Yeah, I really like the idea of a future where all communications with an alien species are conducted by like really talented DJs. So it's like you want to you want to convey a certain feeling that we have. Like he goes, the guy goes in, like grabs records and starts like mixing stuff together. Like, I love that too. I like your idea of the, you did this with unihemispheric. Um, Brains, where if if you were only using one side of your brain, mm-hmm. I think that you wanted to have some sort of system where you could tell people like, hey, don't don't ask me a really hard question right now. I'm using half of my brain. Right. So I'm liking this too. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that music could be a wonderful way to for us to try to communicate with each other. Well, you uh, everybody listening out there, uh, you have to tell us what you think. If you're if you're a human or if you're an alien, I don't know. Just putting that out there, we might have some alien listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. The HowStuffWorks.com iPhone app is coming soon. Get access to our content in a new way. Articles, videos, and more, all on the go. 
Check out the latest podcasts and blog posts and see what we're saying on Facebook and Twitter. Coming soon to iTunes.